Tired of asking why? Welcome to the Unresolved Life Podcast, where we are answering life's most difficult questions. Now, here's your host, Teresa Blaze. Welcome to the Unresolved Life Podcast. I'm Teresa Blaze. And today I have a really cool guest with us. I don't want to go too much into her story or into her background. I want her to tell the story herself. However, it will resolve around one very simple question. Why would God allow suffering in the aspect of special needs children? Why does God allow that? I mean, on the face of it, it seems so not cool of him. Well, today's guest is is maybe going to answer that. Tawny, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. You're welcome. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about your story and what's going on? I'm married to my husband, Joe. And we've been married for 19 years. And we have a little boy named Josiah, who is now 12, at two years old. We had something that changed our lives very dramatically. You know, when we had our little guy, he was very healthy, social, happy, meeting all of his medical milestones. And then at about between 19 months, 20 months old, very quickly over about a three weeks time, He stopped looking at us. He stopped responding to his name when we called him. It was like he was turning light switches on and off and on and off. He lost play skills. He lost words that he had. And we couldn't figure out what was going on with him. It was hard to get his attention suddenly. We felt like he was just being snatched, like his pilot light had gone out. We were terrified. We had no reason for this to be happening. So, uh, very quickly, We mobilized. Four months of testing later, we find ourselves sitting at a boardroom table um, with doctors surrounding the table. And they give us the pronouncement that we, by that time, had already knew in our heart was true. And they said, it's autism spectrum disorder. And when I opened up the folder that they had slid across the table, I remember seeing the words that just stuck out to me. And it said, autism spectrum disorder, no known cause, no known cure, lifelong. And that was certainly a moment where we have a two-year-old little boy, and it was as if a gavel just came down on his life and the dreams that we had for him and the dreams that we had for our family. Wow. And let me ask you this. When you saw that diagnosis on that folder, What did that do to you as a mother? You know, as a mother and as a Christ follower, this was the cry that just came from my heart. God, where is hope when there is no hope? I didn't know even how to pray about that. I didn't know how to go into that. Certainly, I thought, well, we have to mobilize. Like, what can we do? So we did everything we possibly could to get him into the best therapies. And there wasn't a lot that the medical field had to offer for autism. So we looked into alternative kind of biomedical things. Um, We just decided we're going to put as much into him. You know, we caught this early. And so we want to help him as much as we can to succeed. It's very difficult because you're throwing into a diagnosis that you really don't know anything about. It's extremely scary. Uh, There are so many different approaches out there. It's very hard to navigate. And yet no one approach that yields success. And, um, you know, as, as parents, 
you know, we're trying to look at this. Our whole lives have been upended. And I just remember when we were getting introduced to this, we took this class. It was a four-week class once a week uh, about kind of introduction to autism and the diagnosis. And I remember seeing videos and hearing about families that were going through this. And it was kind of more than a person could bear because they looked like they were just miserable. And it was kind of like bracing you that this is going to get harder and this is going to get worse. And I remember them saying that people that have children that have a chronic illness or special needs, something that doesn't get resolved, about 80% of parents have what's called chronic sorrow because there's just cycles of grief and loss. And it's not like something that gets resolved and then you move on and heal from it. You're kind of always responding to that loss. And I can definitely relate to that one. I mean, we have, I have a special needs daughter who, while she doesn't have autism, she is nonverbal. And the first four years of her life, she was on a break. And so it was always responding to her needs. And now we're trying to help her catch up with her schooling and that kind of stuff. But she's nonverbal. She's smart as a whip, but, but trying to communicate with her in that respect is difficult to say the least. Well, and, and men and women also grieve differently and at different times. So, you know, even trying to keep a marriage together and, you know, your finances are impacted, uh, your plans are impacted, your career is impacted. I mean, it just really one thing kind of grows out and it starts to affect everything. But for me, as I'm pursuing all of these different books and trying to read up on this and trying to get footing, one of the things that really stuck out to me was there's a lot of stuff out there about things to do or things to try, but there really wasn't anything that talked about the spiritual journey that a person goes on and the emotional journey. When faced with a diagnosis like this or like anything that is unresolved. So you, you, you talked about, you know, trying to pray and ask God, you know, where, where is hope when there is no hope? How did God answer you in that moment? I mean, because there might be someone who maybe have received a diagnosis of whatever it is. How, how, what step do you take after that? You know, I looked at my life and I was like, you know, I'm a person who I've gone through some hard things, but I'm a hopeful person. I'm an optimistic person. And I don't want this pronouncement, this label to suddenly like totally change who I am and even totally change how I see my child. There's a scripture in Job where it talks about the severity of his illness changed his wardrobe, caused him to change his garments. And basically his identity, who he was. And I, I really resonated with that because it can change you so profoundly. But I remember one day I decided, you know, I've got some really serious questions to ask God. I, I actually went and sat with my journal and I wrote down what ended up being about 10 very hard hitting questions, honest, raw, authentic questions to God. And I kept saying, you know, God, everybody's trying to tell me kind of the world's version of how I'm supposed to cope with this. 
how do I get my footing and cope with this new information and new reality? So if I need to learn how to cope with this, I want to cope with it in a godly way, in a biblical way. So show me how to cope with this in a godly way. And so I would go to God's word and I would always pull out those 10 hard questions that I had, hoping that maybe I would see something as I would be reading his word. Can you give an example of the questions that you asked? A lot of it is really like what you brought up in the beginning. Why didn't you protect us? Why did you allow this to happen? From before he was ever born, we were praying over him and speaking, you know, you have good plans for him. And we named him Josiah, which means fire of the Lord. And it was like his fire has gone out. How can this even be? You know, I've served you all my life, God. I'm even serving you in the church. What do I do with this? And, And what about healing? Do you still heal? Are you the God who heals? There were all sorts of questions like that. But one of the things was, how do I even pray for this? And really, how do I cope with this? And this is what I kept finding in God's word. There is simply no vocabulary in the Bible about coping. It's always oriented toward hope. It's always oriented toward that which is life-giving, life-inducing, life-speaking. And I kind of came to this place where I'm going to start believing that God is a good God, and He is a good, good Father, and He's not withholding from me, and that there are things that are going on here that I don't have the answers for, but that God sees us, and I'm going to be speaking life over my child. I'm going to be speaking life over our situation. So what started out as how do I cope well, I guess started ending up with how do I hope well. And um, I actually had started a blog back in those early days, which really was about the spiritual journey I was on called Hoping Not Coping. You went to God, you asked him some of these questions. Did you ever get the sense that he didn't mind you asking the questions that he didn't mind the rawness of them or did he actually speak to you in those moments yeah um you know it's interesting because back back in those early days i didn't really understand so much how people like heard from god you know like okay i'm trying to hear from him you know and like okay i come across a scripture or, or i have a feeling inside of me or or whatever but I would definitely like go to his word and I would, I would talk with him, but I had a kind of supernatural experience that kind of changed a lot of things. I was really down and I, it's like, it was starting to even affect my physical body. Like my back started hurting. I'm just carrying the burden of this and I'm working full time and we're going through all this stuff with Josiah. And I just, I was just dying inside. I was just physically getting wiped out. And emotionally. And there was this time that I went into my bedroom. Josiah actually was taking a nap. It was like a Saturday or Sunday afternoon. And I laid down for a nap too. And I woke up about 20 minutes later. And I'm kind of a mouth breather. So it was really weird because I started smelling this smell. And it was 
amazing. And it was like, I could just drink it in. I mean, it was just filling my nostrils. And I'm like, what in the world is that smell? And I'm smelling my hair. I'm smelling you know, my deodorant. I'm smelling my pillow. Like, where could that even, what is that? It smelled like vinegar, uh, not vinegar, smelled like vanilla and cinnamon, like creme brulee or something. And I'm just wondering, what in the world is this? And I'm, I'm smelling this for about 20 minutes, 20, 30 minutes. And I remember my mom talking about how after my dad had died, she had an experience where she talked about the fragrance of the presence of the Lord. And uh, I went out to my my laptop and I'm like typing into Google, like uh, fragrance of the Lord, cinnamon, vanilla, whatever. I typed this in and it ended up like, actually, there were people that this happens to. Well, I'm saying this, and I'm sure it sounds odd to some of your listeners, but that was something that had happened that I felt like God knew for me personally, he had to supersede my senses. He had to supersede even my logic and my mind to just show me in that moment, I am here. I have not left you. I see all of this and I am with you. And there was something about that moment that kind of shored me up to keep pressing forward. That is, wow. And and guys, I know that, you know, a story like that kind of sounds weird or maybe off the wall, but, you know, God will show himself in whatever way he needs to, to anyone he needs to. So, I mean, that's, you know, that's kind of cool. So let's, let's move forward a little bit. You're still trying to do, you know, you're still trying to seek treatment and you're, pro, you're, you're caring for Josiah. Can you talk about Josiah and the iPad and the, your first encounter with him? Uh, using the iPad? We had just thrown so much effort into Josiah, you know, hoping that we could really set him up for, you know, our desire was hopefully he'll be able to be mainstreamed into school. Well, by five years old, we get an addendum to his diagnosis that he is low functioning, he is nonverbal, and he is severe, and that he will likely be one of the 40% of people with autism who never speak. And so it was kind of like that was another, oh, man, <laughs> I mean, what more can I do? What more can we do? And yet it's like not moving. And it's, it's really, you know, when you get those pronouncements and when you get to those, really those mile markers, kind of every milestone and every mile marker has a lot of weight to it. So that was really difficult. So I'm, I'm trying to kind of deal with like, okay, what can I do? I mean, I haven't had a conversation with this child, you know, how can I unlock him? He's growing more and more frustrated. About a year later, I had heard of a documentary called A Mother's Courage. And in it, there was um, a, a child that looked a lot like my child in the way that he was presenting with autism. And they had come to a lady who was showing kids like him how to learn and how to spell by pointing at one letter at a time on these letter boards. And I was like, assume age level intelligence. And that was such a different thing. Like, you know, we're treating him like he's a toddler stacking blocks, you know? And so I was like, I got to find this for my son. 
Well, it just so happened that there was a woman who had apprenticed under this lady and had moved back to um, a town that was about four and a half hours away from where we lived. So we were able to take Josiah and go to four days of sessions to learn this method. And it was there that she had said, you know, assume age level intelligence. She had said, you know, he's actually an auditory learner. So you need to speak to him like he's blind. You need to overemphasize things. You need to go, you need to walk along and be like, well, look at the, look at the leaves. The leaves have veins in them. You know, they turn colors. It's called photosynthesis. You know, they're, you know, just basically just talk. And here, you know, because my child is nonverbal, may I be very honest with you? I talked very little actually. Or, you know, we were always told like, take out all the language and be like, want cookie, touch block, you know, (laughs) and it became very unnatural to just have a conversation with someone who's not giving you anything back. And so, so that was a real shift for me. It was perspective shift, but before my eyes, I'm seeing him respond to that. And so we, I came home, did that method with him for uh, almost a year. And of course, when you come home, it's like the kids give the parents a whole lot harder time. (laughs) So I would just constantly just be like, oh, keep trying to like bring him back to the table, keep doing the stuff for 25 minutes a night, just keep at it. And so finally, about a, a little over a year later, I'm sitting at the kitchen table and I decide to do a lesson with him. I'm reading from the children's Bible and I'm reading a lesson about how Jesus healed the blind man. So it's kind of a teach ask method is what it's called. And so I read the story and then I said, Josiah, Jesus healed the blind man. What did Jesus do? Did he H-E-A-L heal the blind man or did he P-L-A-Y play with the blind man? You write that on a piece of paper, rip the paper in half, tap on heal, tap on play. He chose the paper that said heal on it. I said, okay, let's spell heal. And we had had these letter boards up, but I had also had his iPad, which he was especially fond of, with what essentially was the letter board, um, which was the alphabet in order from A to Z in big block letters. And so I thought, well, we'll try that this time. And he presses G. And I was like, G? And then he presses O. I'm like, go. Now, mind you, he's supposed to be spelling heel. He goes on to spell his first ever independent sentence. God is a good gift giver. At this point, you're going, what are you thinking when you see something like that? I was totally shocked. I thought maybe I was losing it. I was like, Josiah, yes, God is a good gift giver. How do you know that? And that's not, and again, it's not like I'm going around saying that phrase. That's not a phrase like he's repeating. And also it's not like he had even spelled anything that was beyond a four or five letter word up to that point that I had given him. You see what I'm saying? So this was just a huge thing. I'm going, something is happening. And he goes on to type, God is very capable. This was a moment that, well, I can say like that was a defining pivotal moment. Life started changing 
from that moment. And quite honestly, I thought he was being healed. Like I thought, okay, here we go. We're like, (laughs) I've been praying for this child to come into healing for so long. This is it right here. That's not what ended up happening. That's what I thought was happening. But God was definitely doing something. Did he ever answer you in the sense of how he knew some of these phrases or how he was able to make some of these statements? Yes. So, I mean, of course, we go into that in great length in the book, Josiah's Fire. But one of the things that he had said, all of a sudden we we start learning, what's your favorite color? What do you like to do? You know, what's your favorite cartoon character? You know, we haven't had a conversation with our child up to that point. But then he starts writing things that are like, where is he getting this stuff? Things that he's never been taught, things that we didn't know. I'd gotten him a lizard. I had gone on a trip. I gotten him this little rubber lizard. And I had asked him, oh, what do you want to name the lizard? And he names the lizard. And then he goes on to type about how like, you know, lizards have ageless tails. And a lot of people think that they have scales, but they actually have aspiration pores that do this and that. And I'm just like, what? <laughs> how, how do you know this? I mean, I know he's not getting taught this. He's at therapy, basically like learning his colors, you know, and this is not something that they're teaching him. And my husband, I, I go up to him and I'm like, do you know anything about lizards? Like, start looking this stuff up. Well, you know, the way he said it, ageless tails, they regenerate their tails. <laughs> They're actually able to regenerate if their tails get chopped off. And so there was this stuff that was just being confirmed. And then he started coming out with these like wisdom words, like faith is picture it done. And I thought, that's the best description of faith I've ever heard. Faith is picture it done. Or faith is believing for kites to fly when there's no wind in sight. And I was just like, what is happening? I did not have any grid for what was happening. I'm several years into this. I have more grid for it. But at the time, I was like, what in the world is going on? And God, whatever you're doing here, could it be like a little less out there and unbelievable? (laughs) Like, I mean, in a way, it's kind of like, okay, I believe in God, but yeah, my belief kind of fits into these parameters and, and God is like, yeah, but I kind of want to shift your parameters. Yeah, that is so true. He he totally started taking me out of my box and taking himself out of the box I had him in. So one day I asked Josiah, Josiah, how is it that you know this stuff? Like, how is it that you know how to spell it? Granted, he's spelling and there's no like spaces in between it or anything, you know, but I'm capturing everything on the iPad, the app that I have, but I everything's like running together, no punctuation, no spaces, but he's spelling words and he's very accurately spelling them. And he, he typed to me, um, Jesus showed him the order of sounds. And I'm like, Jesus gave you hooked on phonics or something. (laughs) It was just shocking because here's the deal. Yes. On one hand, I could say, you know what? He's been exposed to words all his life. We just didn't know he was being able to read them or comprehend them or whatever. But on the other hand, there honestly is no explanation except that God is truly (laughs) has intervened in a way that is supernatural. 
that is God is educating him. <laughs> um, he has had experiences where God has shown him things and continues to show him things. And really, um, as time has gone along, he is really a poet. He's a poetic, poetically gifted child that God gives the most amazing picture images. Um, he's not getting it from me. He's not getting it from his dad. He's not getting it from his school. So where's he getting it from? When your husband heard about what was going on, how did he react? Well, he was, he was amazed too. And he was shocked too. And, you know, of course we both are sitting there going, what in the heck is going on? We're trying to get our orientation around it. And it's also weird. So you, you, you can't believe how many times a person has to put down their own reputation to even be able to describe this. So we, you know, we've certainly gone through a process where it's like, we have to embrace what's happening and, and be confident and not worry about what people think. And honestly, what we've seen is God heal us in a lot of ways. God's healed our marriage. God's continued to help us have great hope and faith in him. And even when the circumstances continue to rage around us, I mean, Josiah is still very much autistic. Josiah still is classified as what would be severe. But we also can't deny that God is working on him and that not only is God a good gift giver, but God is a good gap filler. And it may not be, you know, we, we think that we are in charge of everything that they, you know, learn and you just put so much therapy and so much hours and so many much effort into things. You know what? God has his hand on these children, even if we don't know everything that's going on in their mind. They're thinking, they're processing. There's a bright inner world, I am convinced, in pretty much everybody. And even if there are intellectual challenges or physical challenges um, or developmental challenges, um, we need to kind of get off our own high horses and realize we can't test out everything to see what's actually going on in there. And that God has his hand on these people. In one of the previous interviews that I listened to, in fact, I was listening because um, I actually heard about you on the Hagman, the Hagman report, which, you know, was really cool. Uh, and in one of the previous interviews, you actually talked about him knowing things of, about other people. Do you want to kind of comment about that a little bit? He started talking about things of heaven and I couldn't figure out like, how do you know this stuff? And, you know, when he first started typing about this stuff, it was kind of like immature in his writing. It was kind of like, I'm having to put together things, but I don't exactly understand what he's talking about or what he's seeing. He's having a hard time describing it. And, but, but, but things keep going on. One day I asked him, you know, can you fill in this blank? Like, uh, my favorite place in heaven is, and he goes on to write this most amazing, basically poem, his first, what he called song about heaven. And it was, it's astounding. I mean, it, it's like, I don't know how anybody could write that without having experienced what, what he wrote. And what started happening was, was that I, I kept seeing like God showing him things. God's taking him and showing him things. Um, whether it be through dreams, through visions, 
through angelic encounters, there's different ways that he's being shown things and told things. And sometimes he would even almost like dictate what he's hearing uh, rather than putting it through his filter. So that was really interesting because I didn't have that. I didn't, that wasn't a gift that I had. So I had to start learning, like, what is this? It wasn't on my grid. You see what I'm saying? So I kept asking, I just kept, how do I ask good questions? But then he continued to surprise me because he would know things about people that there was no way that he could know. So one of my favorite examples is this. We were at um, the zoo one day and we were seeing a show on the IMAX theater. We get done there, say, hey, do you want to look around the zoo or do you want to go somewhere else? Take out the iPad and, and he types, take me to the Mall of America and God will have a surprise for you there. And I was like, okay, don't know what that could be. But so we go to the Mall of America and, um, you know, he likes to get his burger at McDonald's. So we stand and get burger at McDonald's and and then I took him over to Noodles and Company and I got my salad. We're sitting there and eating. And then all of a sudden we go and, you know, he always holds my hand while we're walking. And oddly, instead of just walking calmly beside me, he starts pulling me down kind of this corridor. And I thought, well, maybe there's this toy store or something that he knows he wants to go to. So I'm, I'm walking along with him. And he takes me down this kind of hall. And then he sits me down at this bench and we are known to kind of, as we're out and about, we try to find benches so that he can communicate when he, you know, when we have a chance. And so he sits me down and he wants to tell me something on the iPad. So I bring out my iPad, I'm like what's going on. And he, he starts telling me, um, hobnob with that nice girl placing little stairs now my way, spiritually working to voice little durable words to voice for doubters. I'm like, what girl are you talking about? Who are you even talking about? We're in the biggest mall in America. You know, I don't know who you're talking about. And so he goes on to type, love is love. Tell her that. Tell her words. Take her breath away. Tell her that love is born out of choosing God, not choosing Wicca, which is like witchcraft. Hope is love. Hope is love, not more daddy issues. Pick a spiritual daddy. It is boy's father. It is God. Choose him, not a brotherhood of robbers, because you need me, God says. And so he writes this. <clears throat> First of all, my heart is jumping out of my chest because I'm like, I'm not going to have to tell this to somebody, am I? <laughs> I mean, you have to picture me here. <laughs> and uh, I'm like, okay, Josiah. First of all, I don't even know who this is for. And secondly, do I have to tell this to somebody? So I'm looking around and I don't see anybody. And all of a sudden I look way down and there's this group of maybe 20 somethings standing way a ways down. And there's this girl that kind of has her back to me and she has what looks like kind of a long, almost black cape on, you know, like one of those just kind of put around your shoulders kind of cape. And I'm like, well, I wonder if it's her. I mean, there's the witch, you know? <laughs> and so I'm like, Josiah, am I supposed to like go over there? So as I'm wrestling with this, I'm telling you this group of five friends turns and they start walking down the same way where our bench is. 
And I'm like, oh my gosh, they're coming in front of us. It's now or never. I stand up. I still can't believe it. I stand up and I'm like, excuse me. <laughs> Hi. Um, this might sound weird, but um, I look at the girl who kind of has the cape on. I'm like, are you what would be like spiritually inclined? <laughs> and she says, yeah, I guess. I'm like, okay, this is going to sound funny. I have my son, Josiah. He has autism. He doesn't speak, but he's kind of spiritually connected. And I think he has a word for you. Do you mind if I just read it to you? And again, at that time, still all his words are just running together. So I have to flip over this app and read, you know, decipher this. And so I'm just looking at it. I'm reading it word for word to her. And I look up and I say, does that mean anything to you? And she goes, no, not really. Well, of course, my heart just dropped. Then this girl who's next to her, who has this short, cute, blonde bob and is wearing a sunny yellow tank top, says, that's not her, but that's me. And she literally takes her tank top and pulls it to the side. And she, she shows me a five-star pentagram tattoo. She said, I'm in Wicca. And I've been told that I have daddy issues and I don't even know what to do with this right now. And I'm like, oh my gosh. I, and I say to the girl with the cape, I'm like, I'm sorry, the cape really threw me off. Excuse me. Okay, you. <laughs> wow. Is it just me or are you freaking out right now? Because I'm like, God, like the God of the universe, like the God of the Bible basically intersected heaven and earth and time to somehow cause a mom and her autistic kid to meet up with you in the biggest mall of America to get you a message. And she's like, <laughs> what was her reaction when, when, when you said that? I mean, cause what, what you're saying by that story is that God would go so far to use such a thing as a special needs kid to reach out to someone who was lost in darkness or i mean is that is that really what you're what we're saying here i mean that's massive it's absolutely massive and you know she goes well i haven't even gone to church since i was like in ninth grade i used to be lutheran <laughs> and, and i was like wow do you can i get your email could i just send this to you and god even had more after that for her through josiah and I didn't do anything from that point as far as, you know, hey, do you want to give your life to Christ? I just did that. I didn't have any of that prompting. I just knew that I did what I was supposed to do. And in the email, I said, hey, if you want to talk about this or whatever, I'm here, you know, never heard back from her. For all I know, she might have given me the wrong email entirely. I don't know. But what I do know is that what happened that day absolutely change something in me that said, my Lord will run after those that are not even turned toward him, that they might even hate him and reject him. And he will do everything he can to get to them. And it just broke my heart. And it also caused my heart to expand for those that we maybe write off and say, well, we're not we're not going to reach out to them. It was incredible. And yet, if you look at the biblical encounters, Jesus said, 
the healthy don't need a doctor. It's the sick that do. And he hung out with the tax collectors and the centers and the people that the uh, astute people and the rich and the religious just kind of wrote off. Exactly. And, you know, that what, what continued on, you know, I mean, these are, there were several things that kept happening like this. But what's even more astounding to me is that last summer we were invited to go to a camp. And it was for those that had special needs. And at this camp, there were going to be about five other kids that had severe autism and were nonverbal and that had learned to communicate in a similar, similar way that Josiah had. And this mom had contacted me and she, she said, Hey, I saw you on TV. Our story is your story. My son is 18, but the same track happened and he's very prophetic and he, learn to communicate that same way. We have this camp. Would you come? Would you bring your family and will you come to this camp? So we came and I was absolutely astounded. There's more. There's more out there. I, I mean, I've probably connected with maybe a dozen families now that they have the same story and they're just as shocked as we are. You know, this is not something that you pursue or even can contrive. It's just happening. And so it causes me as a Christ follower to ask, God, what are you doing with this population? I mean, does it not say in the Bible that to experience the kingdom of heaven, we have to come to it like a little child? Does it not say that the king invited people to come to the banquet, to come to the feast, and everybody had all these excuses? So he said, okay, we'll go bring the blind and the lame. Go get the poor, bring them, invite them then. I just think like there's more to what's going on here that we can't overlook. And, you know, he will use the simple things to confound and astound the wise. And it's all in this very mundane way. You know, it's not like we're sitting in church and all this stuff is happening. It's like out and about and it's just like intersecting in regular life. And God will even be sharing things with Josiah and he's typing and stuff like that. And then it's like he's up in the middle of it wanting chicken. You know, <laughs> it's ridiculous. Fast forward to today. You said that Josiah is uh, 12 years old. What is going on with him today? I know you've released a book called uh, Josiah's Fire and you also have a Facebook page, correct? Right. Yeah. Well, God continues to speak to and through Josiah. He writes poetry. He writes quotes a lot. We put him on Josiah's Fire Facebook page. Um, almost every day. It's interesting as we go from season to season, you know, you think that you're going to make so many gains. And the thing is with autism is sometimes it can feel like three steps forward, five steps back. In the past year or so, we've had some difficulty, especially with hormones and starting to, you know, puberty and growth and all those things where he's had a lot more physical kind of sensory issues that we've really had to deal with a lot. That's been really challenging, just getting his senses in order and getting his body to calm down. And and yet he's made some other gains in, in other areas and other ways. Um, but God continues to speak. We continue to just, uh, you know, God told Josiah to pray limits off. So one of the things that is probably the best prayer that I can pray, remember when I said, how do I even pray for this? When Josiah is dealing with so many of these things in his body, and we live in this dichotomy of 
how can all this stuff be happening and yet him struggling so much in his physical body? I just know that I'm to pray limits off. You know, God has giftings that he gives these children and these people. And if we continue to go after those giftings and pull those out and build those up, I really believe that they are energized and vitalized to be able to conquer some of those weaknesses. You know what I mean? Um, but it is daily a challenge. And I will not sugarcoat that. I have seen, you know, I've seen God move. And and yet, you know, hearing your story and hearing what he's doing through someone like uh, jo- Josiah, I'm, I'm honestly amazed. Has your church family, I mean, how have they responded to this story? Well, yeah, they've responded very, very positively. Actually, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of surprised how, how positively they've responded. Um, because it's, you know, the church where, um, I used to be on staff at and that I'd been a part of. It's not necessarily, it's much more, you know, kind of your almost like non-denominational, kind of more Baptist. Uh, this is kind of outside of the box, you know, this is, this is getting out there in the spiritual, um, arena. And I actually was concerned that I would face a lot of rejection, but I actually haven't. I've, been very much embraced. And it was actually pretty cool because when I was on staff there, one of the first audiences that I'd shared just a little bit of what God was doing with our story was the seniors ministry, um, older adult seniors. Here I was just this past September, four years later, they invited me to come back because many of them had read the book. And so I was back speaking to that same group of people. And so warmly welcomed. And it was really, really touching. Do you have a message to our audience that maybe you've learned something from Josiah or just from your own experience? Do you have something that they can take away? Here's the biggest thing, I guess, is that we get these pronouncements like a label. And either we can align with that label and basically put our whole life around what that label entails, or we can align our hearts and our minds and our actions to what is life-giving? What brings forth the best possible attitudes and outcomes? How do we see our child? How do we see our own lives? Can we dream those dreams again? Can we take dreams off the shelf? Who are we and how is this label, how is this experience that we're having going to build into who we are? I'm not the same person I was before, but you know what? I don't want to be. There's part of this that we are, we are very much connected with the stories of our children. As God works in them, he also wants to work in us. And it's all very interwoven. So I think that part of it is just an openness to build into your child the the self-esteem, the worth, the worthiness. You know, when they have special needs of any kind, they have a lot of holes in their bucket, you know, like that it can drain out, you know, the the confidence or just any of that stuff. They go out into the world and it just can drain out so fast. We have to be filling them up with such good words, with such good encouragement 
that whatever that thing is that is the disability gets shifted to different abilities. They all have them. And so to pinpoint that thing that is like, there is a gift there, whether it's art, whether it's science, whether it's math, whether it's music, poetry, whatever it is, whatever delights them and lights them up. Guess what? There's about a million things to go after. We have to go after those things first and then let that emanate out to those other things that need to be lifted up because that's what gives them vibrancy in life. We don't want our children to get depressed. Those that have special needs have a high level of statistically depression. That's our job as parents to lift them up and also be strengthened ourselves. It's a tough deal. It's a constant struggle. But to me, it's a matter of aligning our hearts and our hopes and our words and our actions to that which is life. I am just kind of blown away just kind of listening and hearing your heart and hearing the story. I mean, it just, God really does use the oddest things, the weak, the weak things of this world to confound the wise. I mean, I'm quite sure that when those doctors gave that prognosis, they didn't see this coming. There are things that are going to be very difficult to, to test, to show, to prove, and there is also what is called experience. And I think that we are in a time when people need to rely on the fact that they are experiencing things. And it's not all about all the testing and all the labels and all the scientific this, that, and the other thing. What is experience showing you and telling you? And you know what? With our children, you know, just like with Helen Keller, it took different approaches. It takes different approaches to reach different children. It's not a one size fits all deal. And so we have to be confident with those instincts. I just wanted to thank you so much for coming on the show and telling Josiah's story. And guys, we are going to have links to uh, the book and the Josiah's Fire fan page on the show notes. And you can find that at unresolve.life. So again, I just want to say thank you so much for coming on the show. I am so delighted. Thanks for having me. All right. Thank you very much. Guys, this has been the Unresolved Life Podcast. I am Teresa Blaze, and we will speak again next time. You've been listening to the Unresolved Life Podcast. To catch all our past shows, go to unresolved.life. That's unresolved.life.